Welcome to the Redeemer East Harlem podcast. We pray this message leads you both to know and show the love of Christ in all areas of life. We will now dive into our scripture reading, followed by this week's message. Today, God speaks to us from John chapter 3, verses 1 through 18. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, You must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. The word of the Lord. All right, well, let's welcome my brother Mark, good friend and brother. Thank you for bringing the word to us today. Good morning, everyone. How's everybody doing today? It's good to see you all. I'm so excited to be with you here today. Before I get started, I do have to thank uh, Pastor Justin, Pastor Angela, and Pastor Abe. Um, you have such passionate and loving leaders, and they have all been models and mentors to me in different ways from afar. And so I'm just so grateful to be here with you under their leadership. Um, I also want to bring you greetings from my pastor, the Reverend Clifton McDowell Sr. Uh, from the Church of God of East New York. He says, how do you how do? You do? And uh, we hope we have a great time today. And lastly, I'm just honored for all of you being willing to come and hear from me. Uh, I'm a friend who, believe that, who believes that God still speaks, um, and hopefully he speaks today through me. So I'm just going to pray real quick. Father God, uh, I just pray that you would use me. Um, the reality of the fact is that no one actually needs to hear from me. No, no one actually needs to hear from Mark Atkinson today, but we do need to hear from you, God. So would you speak? Would you make it clear to us why we must be born again? In your mighty and precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we're here and we are going through a theme um, and a series called A Public Faith, which is examining the claims of Christianity. It's a study on John. 
And the claim that I get to investigate with you all today is that you must be born again, right? That you must be born again. And the scripture was just read of a leader in Israel at this time who was named Nicodemus. And Nicodemus, of course, is this teacher of the law. I'm going to move a little closer. I feel kind of far from you guys. Um, but Nicodemus is this teacher of the law, and he's a member of the Jewish ruling council, right? Um, and he comes at night to Jesus, right? He comes at nighttime to Jesus in order to ask him some questions and in order to seek more about this curious person who's been doing these signs and wonders all over Israel. And so I think he's actually coming at night to meet Jesus because he actually doesn't want anybody to know that he's doing this, right? That he's coming at night under the cover of night because he's a part of a ruling sect of Israelites and Jewish people who are supposed to have all of the answers already, right? But I think Nicodemus realizes that actually I don't have all of the answers. And so he gets to Jesus and he admits something to Jesus. He admits to Jesus that Jesus himself is a teacher of the, of the law that comes straight from heaven and that they know that he must be from God because they see these signs and these wonders that he's been doing in front of them. They've heard, they've seen that he's been doing these miraculous signs, he's been doing these signs and wonders among them, and he says to Jesus that they understand that only someone who comes from God could have done this, right? Now, here's the interesting thing about Jesus. Sometimes you say something to Jesus and he takes you in a totally different direction in your conversation, right? And so Nicodemus says to Jesus, man, I, I know you're from God. I, I know you're from heaven. We've seen the signs. We've seen the wonders. And then immediately Jesus goes, if you want to get into the kingdom of heaven, you must be born again. Well, gee, thanks, Jesus, right? Like, it, it, it's interesting because at first glance, Nicodemus's answer and first conversation with Jesus doesn't line up with what Jesus says back to him, right? It, it's, it's like Nicodemus is like, well, you don't want to do a little small talk with me first before we dive into the deep stuff. But Jesus says immediately, hey, you must be born again in order to experience the kingdom of heaven. Now, now why do I think Jesus did this. I think Jesus does this because he cares really deeply about Nicodemus. And he's saying to Nicodemus in this moment, right now, you're coming to me talking about something that you want. The signs and the wonders and seeing the miracles, those are things that you want. But I'm not interested just in what you want. Nicodemus, I'm interested in what you need. And how many times in our own lives do we see that we can get sidetracked and distracted by the things that we want instead of focusing in and zeroing in on the things that we actually need? The, the claim that Jesus was making was that the biggest need that Nicodemus had wasn't just figuring out more about these signs and these wonders, but it was that he needed to be born again. The fact of the matter is that Jesus knows us very well. He knows that it's our proclivity to lean into what we want 
more than to lean into what we need. He knows that it's our proclivity to be arguing about what kind of swimsuit we want to wear when we're in the middle of drowning. Jesus knows this, and he says, listen, I see what you want, but I would rather give you what you need. Nicodemus then realizes that Jesus is saying some interesting stuff to him. He, he's pointing to Nicodemus, and he's saying to him, the reason why I'm healing the sick, and the reason why I'm turning water into wine, and the reason why I'm clearing out the temple is because I want you to see these signs and wonders so that you can be reborn, so that you can be born again. I don't want you to miss the point for which I'm doing all of these things in the first place. So Jesus speaks to him about the kingdom of heaven, and he says, how do you get that? You get that by being born again. And so Jesus tells Nicodemus, hey, brother, you need to be born again. Now, Nicodemus gets a little bit confused here. He's like, bro, how am I going to go back in my mama's womb and be born again? Right? Like, like, how can I make that happen? And Jesus answers him. He says, no one can be born again unless they are born of the water and the spirit. Because flesh gives birth to flesh and spirit gives birth to the spirit. Jesus is just over and over trying to make it plain to Nicodemus that, hey, you had a natural birth already, but you need to have a supernatural birth again in order to experience everything that you really want. And then again, Nicodemus is like, how? How, Sway? Like, how, how, how do we make this happen, right? And here's a moment that's truly incredible to me. This moment is where Jesus says, Listen, I've been telling you about earthly things, but even the earthly things I've been telling you about, you don't believe. So how is it that you'll suddenly believe when I start to tell you about heavenly things? He says to Nicodemus, the reason why I am the authority on this is because I've actually come from heaven. I I've been there before. I'm actually the son of God who was sent here to do this for you. And this is the first time in the book of John where we see Jesus make the claim that he is the Son of God. And he's saying, I'm speaking to you in this way. I'm giving you this account so that you can see that I'm the one that you need that comes from heaven. And so he makes it clear that in order to have eternal life, you must first believe in him. Now, up to this point, Nicodemus is asking some reasonable questions, right? Somebody tells you you need to be born again, makes sense that the first question you're going to ask is, how do I do that, right? The second thing is that he keeps pressing Jesus on this how, because he's stuck in thinking about the natural. He's stuck in thinking about how it happens practically. But if I'm going to be honest with y'all, if I was in Nicodemus's shoes, that wouldn't have been my first question. My first question wouldn't have been, how am I going to be born again? My first question would have been, what was wrong with my first birth? I think my mama did a good job. Why in the world do I have to be born again in the first place? And so in order to answer that question, I actually want to go back in history a little bit. And I want to visit King David. And in Psalms 51, King David, who's known as a man after God's own heart, is repenting 
because the brother just committed adultery and he also just killed the husband of the woman he had committed adultery with. Now that's drama, right? He kills the man of the woman that he cheats with. And then he repents to the Lord and in the midst of his repentance to the Lord, in Psalms 51.5, he says this, surely I was brought forth in iniquity. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. David's making the point that this sin that I committed didn't just happen when I committed it, that I was actually born in this sin, that I was born in a fallen state, that when I was born, the world was already fallen, and what's happening as a result of that is I keep making these decisions that make life harder for me and the people around me because I need to be made whole. That I've already been born in this sin and I need something to cleanse me. He says, cleanse me with hyssop and I shall be clean. If we go back a little further in scripture, we can actually go back to Genesis, the point of the original crime, right? Where Adam and Eve are both tempted by this serpent. And as they're tempted by this serpent, they have an opportunity to choose what God has told them to do or to choose to do what they want to do. And of course, they choose what they want to do. And as they're here, they commit the first sin. And, and I want to sort of think about the fact that in this moment, when they eat of the fruit of the tree together, there's this moment where the world was perfect they bite into that fruit, and the world becomes imperfect. That there's this point in time where sin rushes into the world through these two human beings who God called to be pure. And so if we go into Genesis 3, 8 through 15 and 19, it says this. After that happens, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and he said, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some of the fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So here's where I want us to really pay attention. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animal. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. I just wanna illustrate this picture a little bit more. God has made everything perfect. <laughs> he has made everything good. Seven times he sits back at the end of the days of creation, and he says, man, that was a good job. 
and all that I did was good, right? And he gets to this moment where his creations, Adam and Eve, choose to open a door to sin that causes everything in the world to be marred. It was all good up until that point, and then in this point, we start to see everything that God imagined to be perfect become corrupted. Now, I don't want to trivialize this moment, but have y'all ever had a moment at work where you put some good leftovers from the past night into the fridge at work, and then you get to lunchtime, you're waiting all day, you want to have that good food, whether it's arroz con pollo, whether it's some oxtail and rice and peas, whatever it is, in that fridge, you're waiting till this moment because you can't wait to partake in what you set aside for this time. And when you get to that fridge, you open that door, and it looks like that container's been opened. Somebody else has eaten your food. Has anybody ever had a moment where you're like, man, somebody took what was mine. Somebody ate it, and you get frustrated because you were saying, I was waiting for this moment. I was looking forward to this. I, I, I had my hopes set on this. I don't want to trivialize what God was experiencing by comparing it to lunch food, but I think there's, there's an experience there that was similar for God where he said, I have prepared this, I have crafted this, I have made this perfect, and in this moment, all of it is marred because of one decision. Because somebody didn't want to wait on my perfect plan so that we can enjoy it together. But in that moment of intense rage and intense wrath, I believe we see something that I can't believe happens. In that moment of intense rage and intense wrath, we also see this intense love at the same time. Because God speaks to the serpent, who we can say is Satan, and says to the serpent, listen, cursed are you all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between the seed of the woman and between you. You're going to strike their heel, but they will crush your head. In that very moment, God creates a plan to allow the redemption of humanity to happen, even in the very moment when everything was marred and corrupted and destroyed. If I was God, I would have needed a minute. I would have been like, yo, give me a second. I, I'm not ready to fix all of this right now. But in that very moment, God creates a plan, and he says, even though you broke it, I'm going to fix it on your behalf. He literally says to Satan, you may hurt them. You may bruise them. You may even strike their heel. But at this moment, I am creating a plan that will span through the cosmos that will end up with their redemption. That's the kind of God we serve. That in a moment of destruction and corruption, he chooses to redeem this entire world. And he chooses to do it through the Son of Man. And so what we see happen is God actually takes us on a journey. He actually at that time sets a plan in motion that recalibrates both history, time, and humanity to make sure that we can be redeemed in order to be born again. And, and, and I want to show you really quickly that God starts this rescue mission 
that transcends time. He, he starts with Adam and Eve, and obviously they make a big mistake. So then he recalibrates through Abraham and tells Abraham, hey, listen, through your progeny, through your children, I'm going to bless the entire world. And then through Isaac and a trickster named Jacob, he continues this plan through to Judah and down to Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, who was formerly known as a prostitute, right? Recalibrating again through Jesse, whose mother was the widow, was the middle, whoops, the widow Ruth, through to King David and Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife, right, who we just talked about. He recalibrates again down to Hezekiah, down to Josiah. He recalibrates again through to the exile to Babylon. He recalibrates again through Azar, Zadok, Eleazar, Matan to get to another Jacob. And this final Jacob leads us to Joseph and Mary. God recalibrates all of time, all of humanity, all of history just to redeem you just to get to a point where he says, you can be born again. That's why the next words that Jesus is able to say to Nicodemus is this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. He was able to continue on and say, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but he sent it to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Jesus then in that moment says, everything you want you may not get, but everything you have ever needed is literally standing in front of you and is giving you the opportunity to be born again. Through time, through humanity, through history, through all of our mistakes, through, through all of the things that we have gotten wrong, God recalibrates over and over and over again just to redeem his creation. We serve that kind of God. And so God makes this plan, why? To give you a new birth that supersedes your natural birth that became corrupted. He, he wants to give you a new birth that will restore everything that was broken inside of you. And as I close, I actually want to get closer to the end of the Bible, actually. Because today we, we examine Jesus' claim that you must be born again through evidence from the beginning of time and the middle of time. But I actually want to fast forward to the end of time to prove that it happens. In Revelations 21, 1 through 5, the interesting thing is that John writes this too, right? And it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear 
from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the former things have passed away. And this is my favorite point. And the one seated on the throne said, behold, I make all things new. Why did God do everything he did even in that moment of corruption and destruction that happened in the garden? Why is he offering Nicodemus this chance to be born again? Because it was his plan to make all things new. But here's my other favorite part. I have a lot of favorite parts. Here's my other favorite part. My other favorite part is this, that God's not just saying I'm making you new. He's saying, I'm making all things new. That, that in this ultimate plan, you being born again is not just an invitation for you to be made new, but for everything in your sphere of influence to also be impacted by that new life. That God wants to make East Harlem new again. That God wants to make Harlem new again. That God wants to make Manhattan and all five boroughs new again. That he wants to make all of these United States of America new again. That he wants to make the whole entire world new again. That our God wants to sit on the throne, look at our lives, look at every part of it that has been broken and say, behold, I make all things new. That's what our God wants to do. And how does that all start? simply with an invitation to say, but your first birth wasn't enough. You must be born again. I'm going to pray for us right now. Father, I, I thank you for getting to share with Redeemer East Harlem. And I thank you, Father, that you offered Nicodemus not what he wanted, but what he needed. And in this moment, Father, I believe that you are offering us not what we want, but you're offering us what we need. God, please don't let us be those that are arguing over what kind of swimsuit we want while we're in the middle of drowning. God, God help us to realize that we need a rescue. We need to be born again. We need you making us new to be true and to be our new destiny. Father, you reached down through history, you recalibrated through time just to get to us. Just to say, I love you so much and the way it is now ain't the way it always has to be. That I can make this new, this situation, I can make it new. Your joy, I can make it new. Your life, I can make it new. But it first starts with you saying, man, I need to be born again. Father, would you allow us to accept this promise of goodness that you have for us? Because we realize it's not just for us, but it will ripple out to every relationship, to every circumstance and situation that we are attached to. God, we, we wait and we are in humble anticipation of the day when you make all things new. But God, we right now pick up the plow and we say, we wanna be a part of the middle. That as you are the Alpha and the Omega, we know that you have placed us in the middle in order to help your work of making things new. Would you use us to that end and in that way? In your mighty and precious name we pray, amen and amen.
thank you for listening to the Redeemer East Harlem podcast. For more information on our church and how you can support what God is doing through our church, go to www.reh.nyc.